Welcome to the Manager Tools Podcast for Monday, February 19th, 2007. How to answer questions during a presentation, part one of two. Hi, this is Mike, and on behalf of Mark and I, welcome to Manager Tools. Today we get back to the topic of presenting, which for most of us is not exactly the most comfortable of our tasks. Now, if you've ever given a presentation, you've probably been asked to leave time for questions. You may have even gone the extra step of thinking about what questions you might get. However, in our experience, 80% of the managers we've coached haven't, but maybe you're in the 20% category. But have you ever thought not about the content of the questions, but rather the delivery of your answer? Even if you have a perfect answer, if the question is even slightly confrontational, your delivery could doom you from the start. Most presenters give away their fear and lack of preparation by behaving in ways that actually increase the conflict inherent in a challenging question. In this podcast, the first of a two-part series, we discussed how to answer questions in a manner that leaves you, the presenter, in the best possible position. So you, you, you think managers are pretty bad at this. Um, yeah, you sure know how to enhance a guy's reputation for being direct and sometimes negative. How come you didn't say, um, this is an easy one for most managers to improve upon? <laughs> um, because you think managers are really bad at this? Yeah. You're, uh, uh, I, look, I only think that because it's easy to change. Um, and, it, 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 you know... It's sad. It continues to make me sad that no one is telling anybody this. Um, in fact, it worries me sometimes the people who know how to do stuff well and don't share it with people. Um, where are the executives who are supposed to be coaching managers, giving them feedback? Where are the peers who um, make suggestions? Um, all of the real impressions that folks have about presenting are the ones that are shared privately. Um, and yeah, that, that's, it's a pet peeve of mine. Um, I don't well, like it. Well, yeah, the, well, the answer to your questions are, are that uh, the the person sharing is right here on the phone with me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we've we've talked about this a number of times, right? About how poorly questions are handled, and then how it can really, really just kill a presentation. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Um. I, I think it's just like a big hole, and it, it does in terms of preparation. It bugs me. Yeah. I've I've seen this a number of times. You know, somebody. I mean, I'm sure you've been in presentations where the person really knows their stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, yep. They, they've got to genuinely have a great idea. They're trying to share right, it with right. people. They're trying to influence, um, and they they end up with poor results, and then yeah. just yeah. totally get dismissed for this. Yeah. It, you know, they didn't see it coming. They didn't anticipate the questions. They didn't anticipate the, the conflict caused by the questions, and and. They really no had no idea on right. how to how to handle it. Yeah, tell me about the conflict. Expand upon the conflict thing. Sure. I mean, some some of the audience occasionally not not like I would ever do this. <laughs> no, <laughs> they, they create a little or a lot of conflict on purpose. Right. And they want right. to, you know, sometimes they they want to see what happens. You know, sometimes right. they're trying to see whether or not the person is prepared or not. Right. Uh, so, you know, sometimes. Sometimes it's just to just to disagree. They're not really trying. Right. They're not trying to have any other kind of uh, influence on the conversation. They they just disagree with what you're saying. 
Right. Um, but it sometimes it's political, right? They're trying right. to embarrass you or trying to send a subtle message. Right. Um, but it really doesn't matter why the presenters should have been ready and, yep. and weren't and blew the answer. Uh, I, you, you said it exceptionally well. I th- and I think a lot of times presenters spend time analyzing the rationale or the underlying political or I- issue that drives the question rather than knowing their content, predicting that it's going to come, and then preparing the answer. So I, I completely agree. And and quite frankly, once everybody hears this incredibly long <laughs> manager tools guidance on the subject uh, – They'll know why they've struggled before and exactly what to do to, to nail it down in the future. So Yeah, and that's great because it's not a matter of whether or not this – if this is going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. And the question right. is what are you going to do about it? Exactly. So, so cool. Okay, so give us the steps. Okay. Um, uh, f- first of all, we've got – this is, I mean, there's probably 30 things we need to talk about, and they're very granular, but, but I'm just going to cover the major ones here. Um, and that is, we, first of all, I got a preparatory comment about holding questions till the end. We're going to talk about that. And then basically, there are four um, big major steps, which is what you do when you hear the question, um, what to do to physically catch the medicine ball. This this may go down as the medicine ball cast. Okay. Um, what you do to verbally catch the medicine ball, not physically, but verbally, that's step three. And then step four, how to end your answer to a question. Okay. So right, four so. big ones, and I, some of them have as many as seven steps underneath them. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know big me. surprise <laughs> there. <laughs> but you know, you know, look, look I, somebody kidded me about this recently. This is, oh yeah, too detailed and everything. But boy, I'll tell you what. I, and this person was a director level person, and, and I think partially they were saying they didn't want the detail in part because they have their own way of doing it. But but the comments we get that are really positive about all the detail are from some of the newer managers. That, you know, they want to. They want to at least know what it is, and so after they bite off two or three and get that down, they can add two or three more. I don't. We don't expect people to go out and do all thirty of these things, or however many there are, all at once. Um, but you should be able to pick one and do that one better next time you present, and you add one every time. We go back to the whole good, better, best thing. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think so. people really appreciate the the, the how content laden these podcasts yeah, are. I mean, it's a details, so. of course, that that folks really like. So, although I, I harass you about your. steps all the time. Right, right. I think every time I say that, people cringe because maybe you'll stop giving the details. Nah. Yeah, but they don't know you very well. Yeah, that's right. That's not going to (laughs) happen. I've got my details, and I intend to beat you over the head with them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, if... um, if you really, if you really want to get this, then try presenting a couple of days with Mark and getting <laughs> feedback on all the details you missed. Oh, that's right, that's right. Feedback that's is some, great. Yeah, feedback is great, <laughs> and I get a lot of it. All right. <laughs> okay, look. Let's, let's get. Okay, preparatory comment. Holding questions till the end. Look, I, I'll tell you, I I get this question about questions more than any others, and it is the one that stuns me because when I answer it, people are like, oh yeah, the way you, when you put it that way, it's so easy. Look, this it is impossible. 
in virtually any situation I've ever been in to ask people to hold questions to the end. And folks, if you're in the IT world, you do this all the time and it just sends a message to your internal customers, marketing or operations or financial folks or sales or whatever. It sends a message that you are grossly underprepared and you want the world to revolve around your definition of how things should go. And you rarely are the person driving the train. It is impossible. It, 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 I'll tell you a perfect example. It's just like listing a long list of award winners and asking an audience to hold their applause till the end. Everybody knows it doesn't work. It never works. It never will. Not even in totalitarian dictatorships does love that it, work. I love it when people even suggest it. And, yeah. And, I, then, and then people ignore it and their person gets aggravated. And they're, right. They're yes, exactly. Rolling yes. their eyes. And didn't I tell yeah. you to wait till the end? Yeah. Which is exactly translated into don't clap for that person. Good Lord. Crazy. Um, okay. Um, there isn't an executive or a manager who outranks you when you're presenting who doesn't think that they ought to be able to ask questions whenever they damn well please. And frankly, that's a good thing. Good ideas, good initiatives, good projects are always being asked about, being questioned, being tweaked, looked at from different angles. And you know what? 30 years ago, it was different. But today... Uh, in the collaborative world we've got today, asking everyone to hold their questions says more about the presenter's lack of confidence, not only in themselves, but also in their idea, than it does about the presentation. Um, maybe it's less less uh, fulfilling to to deliver with a lot of questions and a lot of attacks and a lot of skirmishes along the way but you're you're and you're, and maybe it's less likely your idea will end up at the end of the presentation pristinely perfect and unchanged from the beginning but who cares the question is is it an implementable idea and is it better off than when it started based on the fact that you may not be the only person implementing it um I I think it's wrong from so many different angles. I mean, one, without the interjections and with somebody up there speaking for forty five minutes or an hour without oh, a single ugh. question, it's boring. It's monotonous. It's, yeah. it's awful. I, I frankly, I can't imagine why somebody would want to do it that way. Um, oh, I, I I I can. I mean, to be to be really literal, I can understand the reason why because they prepared without people. Well, let, let's hope they prepared, rehearsed. But even if they didn't, they wrote the slides as if they were just talking straight through. And they didn't stop every on every slide. Every every slide you build before you start a new slide, we recommend a step that says, "What questions will I get on this slide, and what will my response be?" And and uh, to this day, I'm stunned at the, how few people actually know. I'm not talking about the number of people who use. I'm talking about literally the number of people who know that PowerPoint. And, and we're not saying this is a course or this is a cast about PowerPoint, but that few people who know about PowerPoint's notes view, which gives you an eight and a half by 11 view with the slide at the top and the center, and it gives you room to put speaker's notes, which I often do when I'm writing a presentation for, for someone. Right. Um, now, of course, you're, if you're doing writing an effective presentation or preparing, you've got to ask these questions, right? It's all about the audience. Yeah, yeah exactly. If you're not asking what, you know, as you're writing it, what are the questions that are in the listener's mind yeah. as I'm presenting this point, then... I mean, I could argue yeah. it's, it's not about preparing for the question. It's, it, it's, you're not making a very effective yeah. presentation. Exactly. And, and, and we really, we need to build robust enough presentations that they can be interrupted. Simple as that. Great. Okay. So, okay, so let's, let's start at the beginning. What do you do when you hear the question? Okay, so you're presenting, and somebody has the temerity to ask you, <laughs> Ms. Almighty Speaker, a frivolous little question. How great... 
how might O Great and Mighty One respond to this plebeian interruption? Um, yes. Um, With a scowl. And, yes, that's exactly right. Yes, a scowl. Um, how dare you interrupt the mag- her, her majesty. Look, number one, make eye contact and smile. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really blunt, and I'm going to say presenters who make this a strict habit even when the interruption comes from their most vilely hated worst enemy in the organization, presenters who make this a strict habit do so much better at presentations than anyone else that I see that we are tempted to recommend just this one thing. The confidence that it sends to the questioner and to the rest of the audience are so powerful when you immediately look at the person. I mean, I, I can't even, I can hardly talk about it, as you can tell. Um, if you, let, me, let me say it this way. If you do this, if you make eye contact and smile at your questioner, regardless of how viciously presented the question is, if you do this two or three times early in your presentation, you'll reduce the number of challenging questions you get for the rest of your presentation. Let me say that differently. If you do this two to three times early in your presentation, even when you are not feeling confident and you don't know the answer will actually cause them to feel terrible about the fact that they asked the question, you will still still reduce the number of challenging questions you get during the rest of your presentation. You cannot, I say again, you cannot become a master presenter until you use this skill effortlessly without thinking about it. And then it happens so naturally that people assume that you love getting questions even from your worst enemy. Yeah, this is, uh, this is that phrase, don't let them see you sweat yeah. in action, right? Yeah, and, and that's just, don't let them see you sweat, it's just avoiding failure. Success is smiling into the teeth of disaster, right? And then people are like, wow, you must have been, I mean, in fact, people assume that you have a great answer, and they start looking for a great answer, which means much more likely that they'll get one. Right. Okay. Okay, so so if, if so. we did nothing else, if, some, if the listeners did nothing else but did this, they would be much more effective at answering yeah. the questions. But of course, he, you got more. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got we got a long way to go. Okay, number two, um, in terms of um, uh, terms of handling the question, in terms of hearing the question before we even get to answering it, we step toward the questioner, and we do nothing else. Okay, we have to. We have to. I want to make a clear point about we doing nothing else. For some reason, presenters these days have developed this habit of straightening papers or checking the projector or doing some other trivial or administrative task, touching their BlackBerry when they're in front of a group. Uh, folks, if you haven't learned that you shouldn't have your BlackBerry on you when you're in front of a group, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me just be clear. Leave your BlackBerry somewhere else and not on a hard service where it'll be buzzing and you'll be noticing it. Um, Okay. So, but for some reason, presenters have developed this habit of of, of doing something else. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, It's rude. It's ineffective. And it reminds me whenever I see it that corporal punishment is illegal (laughs) because I would (laughs) wrap them on the knuckles. Um, When someone asks you a question, the confident presenter does not look away or engage in some task waiting for this plea but to finish their interruption, the confident presenter aims to share, um, I say this very clearly, share his or her podium in in the figurative sense with them because we hate podiums, tabletop or otherwise. I told somebody once I hated a podium and they said, oh, what he meant was he only wanted the ones that sit on top of tables, the short ones. I said, no, no, that's a podium too. Okay. So so you're talking about, so so when they ask a question, you give them the podium. 
No, you can't give them the podium because, look, you're in charge. That's like saying you're the boss, and so when you delegate somebody, you lose all responsibility for the task. No, no, you're still responsible. But, but you, can't, you cannot give it to them. You, you, if you're the presenter, if you're the presenter of record, even if the CEO and he or she gets up and starts talking, it, it, it doesn't matter. You still have the podium in some fashion. You're in charge when you're presenting. You have so much power when you're standing up and people are sitting down. And even when you're not standing up, but if you're standing up, the power is just overwhelming. You cannot even comprehend how much power you have, regardless of what you think about who has power in the room and who outranks you and so on. So to, to distract oneself while listening to a question or not listening, because if you're distracting yourself, you're essentially saying, I'm not listening very carefully, is to imply that you needn't worry about what an audience member says or does. Um, I mean, that's the equivalent of royal arrogance. It's, it's like you're, what you just said about, about it making, making it about the question. Um, the first rule of presenting is it's not about you. It's about the audience. So, okay. When you're asked a question, you don't do anything else. You move toward the questioner. What if it's a real tight space and you really you don't have you really can't move toward the good question. yeah you know it could be a wide conference table I'm always amazed well, what is it about architects or building designers that they put a bigger conference room table into a room and and so literally in order to walk around some of these some of these conference room tables the person has to be you know have to have a size twenty eight inch waist or something to scoot up the chair the chair up the table so you can walk by them it's, it's weird yeah, just yeah that's um, so you can when you're Moving around, you can go behind somebody, and yes, it's one, and of the, them, one of the yeah. folks you really don't like, you just bop them in the head with your, your <laughs> yeah, little that, remote control. Exactly. Yeah, good. Um, look, even in tight spaces where it might just be half a step, you still want to move in their direction. Um, uh, again, even if it's just half a step, it can, it can be a, a quarter step in their direction. Um, if you're in a room with a center aisle, though, if you're talking to a to a you know a larger group in theater style, we recommend you walk right down the aisle and get as close as you can to that person while still staying in the aisle. It acknowledges them. It also says you are confident. It not only sends a message to them that their question is okay, uh, and that they actually have part of the floor. You're so confident you don't mind giving up part of your podium, giving up part of the floor to them, because you know ultimately you have all the power you need, and you're not so worried about your power that you're unwilling to share it. Um, it basically says you're confident, um, and it basically no one's going to forget who has the floor when you do this. Um, so you move toward the questioner. Sometimes it's several steps. I mean, if somebody's in the back of a room with 100 people, you can walk all the way to the back of the room. There's nothing wrong with that. The fact that the rest of the audience has to turn around, that's a good thing. Um, and in a conference room where you have very little room, it may just be a step in their direction and lean forward. Okay? Cool. What next? Next. What do you say? You say yes, and you use their name. Yes, oh. Mike? Oh, <laughs> you okay. I used to go, yes, dumb, oh, never mind. <laughs> ah, no, no. Uh, we're going to be we're gonna be gracious about this. It's pretty simple. If you know their name, saying it helps them speak up for everyone. It also says, subtly, I have to agree to allow you to talk. Right? I mean, um, 
when I say yes, Bob, essentially I'm reminding everyone that it is my podium. I'm sharing it with you, but you're just not going to talk because you get to talk over me. I'm going to give you the floor. And that reinforces my, my confidence, my, my sense of power in the room. Now, look, th- there are exceptions. Um, we're not saying that you should talk over someone who just interrupts. You don't have to say yes, Mike. I don't have to say yes, Mike, if all of a sudden you're just talking over me. Um, in fact, if you do that and you kind of raise your eyebrows and tilt your head a little bit, it will be perceived. As, as arrogant or, or you're patting him on the head uh, and you don't want to do that. But if it's close, if you have the opportunity, if someone gets your attention and it looks like they're going to ask a question, just um, um, you're, you're definitely going to say yes and their name. Now, all of this stuff is kind of happening all at once, so I don't want to say that you step toward the person and then you say the word yes and then you say their name and then you do the next couple of steps we have. So this yeah. is all happening kind of, kind of simultaneously, this first but, step. But the, but the advantage of that, I assume, is that when you do that, I, I think you alluded to it, but just to be really clear, is when you respond yes in their name, it is more likely that future questionnaires are going to yes. subtly try to get permission before speaking. Yeah. They'll, they'll raise their hand slightly. They'll look at you. They'll they'll hesitate a little bit. And yes. again, it's, that's just an yes. example of you being in charge, I think, which is yeah. your point. And then you go, go a step further now, partner. Think about this. So now people, in the first few times, you smile, you, you step forward, uh, you say their name, you say yes. And now people know that if they want to get the floor, you will be happy to give it to them. You're not going to rush through. They're not going to have to interrupt you. They, they may have to get your attention if you're walking around or whatever. They're, you're, they're behind you or something. But here's the beat of it. Now they will pause. And if you're making good eye contact throughout the, the presentation, which, of course, is something that we talk about in a separate cast. This is just about questions. But if you're making good eye contact and they know that, they're going to wait until you make eye contact with them because they know it won't be 20 minutes later that you your eyes connect again. And so they're going to wait and they're going to give you a signal that they're going to talk. If they give you that signal and you're in the middle of a phrase or a paragraph or a point of view that is really powerful and you have a, a, a dramatic ending to it, you can just put your hand up very subtly. Raise your fingers up, raise the tops of your fingers up toward the ceiling a little bit while keeping your hand low down by your waist and send them a message, I'm going to come to you. You just raise your eyebrows just a little bit. You pick your palm up past the the horizontal, um, you know, get your fingers vertical a little bit and they will see it and you'll get to finish your paragraph and you'll say, yes, Bob. And I'll tell you, you, you know, some presentations are important enough and delicate enough and, and contentious enough that a little bit of the kind of timing that we rely on in comedians is powerful for a presenter. And there are times when you don't want to look at the audience. If, if you're uncertain, if you have an audience that's very, very willing to interject or interrupt or ask questions, there are times when you actually want to make your point with your back partially turned to the audience so they can interrupt you so you can say your paragraph. Um, uh, and, and, and get your dramatic point across with, with some passion or with some clarity or with the right, just the right intonation. Um, so, yes, you're absolutely right. It, it allows it, it sends a message that they're going to pick up on for later. Further, okay, e- even more subtle. It can also help other people. You know, people think, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, we get this, people say, well, what can I do? Tell me one thing. I said, well, definitely say yes in their name. And they're like, well, why? And then, then it takes 20 minutes to explain why. And I'm sorry, but it does. Here, here's another reason to do it. It also helps other people in the room who have lost their focus come back to the meeting. You'd be surprised how easily folks can be surprised when someone else besides you starts talking because they didn't see the questioner catch your eye or what have you. Saying someone else's name allows other people to pay attention to the question that's about to come. 
And it's really good when there's two people in the room named Joe and one of them. One of them asked a question. Yeah. Say, yes, Joe. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. In fact, in fact, point to the second Joe when the first Joe falls asleep, and say, "Yes, Joe." <laughs> no, the only thing better than that, the only thing better than that, when somebody falls asleep, is um, is to very quietly lower your voice over a series of three or four or five sentences, and then ask everybody else in the room to quietly and gently file out of the room. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm not sleeping in your presentation. No. Well, I, 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 I'm trying to think of the last time somebody slept in one of my presentations. It, that's, um, um, well, yeah, well, I, I can't imagine people sleeping when since I've been rolling around fun, on yeah, the floor. Rolling, I knew you were going to say that. Yes. Um, okay. Um, so, so something else. So we, we, we stepped toward the questioner, um, a- after we smiled, um, uh, and made eye contact. We, um, say yes and their name, and then we raise our eyebrows. Well, why is uh, that? This is, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, I you say like raise your eyebrows in the sense of being scared? Uh, no, actually, but, but interestingly enough, it is raising your eyebrows is the second most powerful expression in the facial lexicon. It sends a message of both openness and energy. Your eyebrows exist in order to protect your eyes. When another, you know, uh, humans are uh, hugely visual creatures to, um, you know, people complain about billboards, but it's hardwired. Uh, we're visual creatures, and so that's why billboards are built, um, to catch our eye. Um, but when you raise your eyebrows, you're saying two things. I'm lowering my defenses because, of course, you're, you're moving the, your eyebrow away from your eye, and the eyebrow exists to protect your eye, and it also causes your eyes to open up, and the other person can see your eyes open up, even infinitesimally, and that sends a message that you're trying to get more information about them, you're open to them. Um, so it sends this message of openness and energy, it helps the listener, it helps you, in other words, if they're nervous, you're essentially saying, it's okay, go ahead. Um, and, and here's a simple way to, to, to recognize the value of it. If you wonder whether or not you should do it, and I'll tell you, there are a lot of technical people who won't do it. And I just say, well, that's okay. It's fine. You can be a manager for the rest of your life. You don't ever have to be an executive where you have to lead and motivate people and get them inspired, not based on what you want, but based on what they want. So your call. Um, um, (laughs) but if you wonder about doing it, consider the opposite. Imagine you ask a question of a presenter. And they cast their eyes down and don't look at you when you talk. Hmm. Basically, there's one of two ways. There's one of two ways that's going to be perceived. One is they really don't care. Um, And the other is they're so smart. They're a professor. And they're waiting for you to finish so they can pat you on the head with a trivial little answer to your trivial little question. If you look down, if you look down rather than looking up at a person and raising your eyebrows and smile, almost everything around that is negative. What what about something slightly different where the, 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 the presenter, when being asked a question, narrows their eyes, kind of puts that pensive look where they're like, they're thinking hard about the question. Is there, is there a negative yeah. to that? To that? Uh, there can't, most of the time it is negative. There are some positives, um, but, but it's, it's somewhat rare. And if you're a beginning presenter, you don't want to have to make this distinction. Um, in certain groups, you can get away with that. If it's a very homogenous group, you can do that. In general, the perception is, believe it or not, if somebody's standing up and the rest of the group is sitting down, there's enough power invested in the person standing up that the person sitting down has enough nerves in terms of, particularly if they're the first person interrupting, unless they're very senior, um, um, 
the squinting, the, the, the scowl, if you will, the furrowed brow comes across not as thinking, but as disagreement, as, as uh, being perturbed, as being upset at being interrupted. Um, so it is not perceived the way presenters often mean it. Some presenters say, well, I'm showing them that they're asking a complex, good question, and I'm thinking about it. It doesn't come across that way. Presenters or listeners don't say that. What they say is, he scowled at me when I asked the question. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, I know a lot of people. I, I think I probably do that as well sometimes, so that's what I, 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 I really wouldn't know, nor would I want to give you feedback about it in, um, in public. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later. Maybe we can talk later. <laughs> Uh, okay, what what now? That yeah, yeah, correcting you know, me in my fair, bad habit. Fair, yeah, no, to be fair though, look, I've been doing this for. I've been presenting in front of groups of you know I don't know what's the biggest group twenty thousand or something like that for twenty twenty years, um, and um, m- maybe you don't present quite as well as I do, but you present better than ninety nine percent of the people I know. So we kid about the difference between you and me, but um, all you have to do is present a few thousand times, and you'll be better than me. So. Okay. Anyway, all right, next, uh, you raise your eyebrows now. Here's another subtle thing. We want to step forward toward the questioner, and then we want to lean forward as well. Once you've gotten however close to them you're going to, and, and it may be that it's literally a quarter step, um, you've got to stop. There's a point at which you've decided this is as close as I want to get. Uh, now, look, if somebody's way in the back of the room, and they've made their question very clearly, and you take a quarter step for, toward them, and you think that's sending the right message. It's not. We're, we're suggesting that there's a scale based on the distance and the size of the room, and generally that scale is somewhat linear in terms of the further they are, the more you'll tend to move toward them. But in addition to moving forward them, you're also going to lean forward. This sends yet another signal about your comfort and about your sharing the podium, your podium, with your questioner. Um, also, people don't, don't recognize this, but leaning forward also lowers your height relative to them. Um, in a small space, it, it, um, it enhances the sense that you're moving in the direction when you physically can't because there's no room to walk around. Um, it also reduces some of that tension that vertical height differences play based on the dominant role that you're in. Um, if you ever wonder how, whether or not this works, if the next time you're presenting and someone asks a question and they're sitting down and you have room around the conference table, simply walk up next to them uh, while making eye contact with them. If they have to look up at you from a seated position while you're standing within a foot of them, it will make them extremely uncomfortable. And, and the men we have in the audience, you cannot do this to female audience members. It makes them uncomfortable. I've seen it happen a hundred, a thousand times, and we're certainly in favor of gender neutrality in most things. but. But, uh, gentlemen, um, you simply have to be cautious about that. Uh, In general, anyone standing up, standing too close to someone sitting down will make them uncomfortable. Right. Now, just to be clear here, because I think, um, you know, when we start doing video podcasts, it'll be great because people will be able to see this. But uh, I've seen you do this, and and let me describe and you tell me if I got it right, which is you're you're not just your feet together leaning forward at the waist. You're taking a step forward. Right, and then slightly 
leaning forward and at your your yes. waist, but it's that step forward, yeah, and, and the kind of the slight crouching that causes that causes the the height to go down a little bit. Yes, yes, and I, you know what, I didn't say it very well. And this is one of those one of those casts that we we talked about months ago, and we said, you know, let's wait and deliver it as video cast, and then we said, no, 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 we'll go ahead and deliver it as audio. We'll put it back out as video at some point, and and, and it'll really hit people. Um, but yes, it's the stepping forward. You don't want your feet. Uh, you, you don't want your feet, the line at the front of your feet, or your toes, to be perpendicular to the, the, the line uh, um, toward, the, um, toward the listener. You want one foot to be in front of the other one. Uh, it could be as much as 8, 10, 12 inches. And then, and then uh, that, that little bit of a lean forward. It's almost as if you're standing on your right or left foot. You step forward with the other one, and you're reaching out to grab a, a rope for a tug-of-war. Um, it's that kind of, I'm going to reach out rather than grabbing the rope right close by my waist where I can't get any leverage. I'm going to reach out in front of me and grab that rope. So it'll be easier for me to use my weight to pull it back. Um, no, we don't want you reaching for the rope, but it's that kind of lean that we want. And it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be huge. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. Um, and to give you a sense of how important the height issue is, if someone's on the aisle in a larger presentation, or or if we just have a bunch of chairs in a big in a big circle, um, uh, I don't get as close to them as I possibly can because of the height issue, uh, and that can be intimidating. In fact, in many situations, I will kneel next to a questioner to send them a message of support and encouragement. And and if you're sitting. Th- 20 feet from us and, and the questioner is talking and I'm listening and I'm standing two or three feet above them, it sends an uncomfortable message to somebody across the room as well. So kneeling can be very, very powerful. Yeah. Okay. Um, one other thing, I, minor point, some, some people probably go, oh, that's pretty esoteric. But look, this does not work. The leaning forward does not work if you're presenting in what amounts to a pit-like situation, which are becoming more common in colleges these days, uh, where, the, where there's, a, there's a theater style and the, the chairs are arranged as much vertically as they are straight back. Um, in, in that case, you don't need to lean forward in order to reduce your height, uh, height differential. Okay? Cool. cool. Now, okay, so you've, so you've raised your eyebrows, you've leaned forward, you'd say their names, uh, you've smiled, you made eye contact, and now... You keep your hands down. You lower your hands. Your fingers are pointing mostly down, and your palms are out towards the questioner. Now, you don't have to do this every single time. You can easily have your hands clasped in front of you lightly um, with your hands belt high or, or low waist high or lower. Um, and again, when we do a video cast of the show, I will show my famous... Um, when I've done this before, it's it's unnerving for people. I'll show my famous comparison between most presenters' approach and ours. It shocks people how, when we give the analogy, um, how they appear to audiences, and you will never forget it. Um, we, simply put, we want to send an open, relaxed message. If your fingers are pointing up at any time, you're almost always saying stop to your audience. If your hands are up, you're being too forceful. Both are defeating your purpose. You want your hands down, never on your hips. Palms out, fingers pointing generally down towards the ground, though you don't want them directly at your side like you're a medical cadaver laying on a slab or something. You want them somewhat in front of you. The, the, the mentality maybe to have is think of someone about to throw you a medicine ball. Like we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Between your waist and your knees. Okay? That, that sense of your hands have got to be out in order to catch that ball is a great, great men- mental image to have. 
Okay, next. Um, keep smiling throughout the question. Nod your head. You know, not, not too much. We're not a, we're not a, a, a bobblehead doll. And keep eye contact. Now, look, it's okay to, to frown a little bit as if you're thinking, but, but like we said earlier, too many presenters say that too much, and it's awful. Um, and, and if you ever want to know how bad it can be, try frowning or using that thinking cap scowl and then raise your eyebrows. It is, if you do it now, you'll, I, I, there are some people who will not be capable of doing it without busting out with a guffaw of laughter. So it's hilarious. It's ineffective. Okay. Um, you know, in some cases, um, there are people who are genuinely uncomfortable asking questions, but have a, a genuine issue, um, uh, particularly to larger presentations. And you want to send every message you possibly can of support and encouragement. Audiences often will buy into your ideas, not because they agree with the ideas, but because they love you. And they will not love you if you act superior to them or you act as if they are interrupting you with their plebeian trivialities. So keeping smiling and nodding your head and keeping eye contact says you're still saying good things and I still want to help you. Okay? Good. Okay. All right. So th- th- that's everything we do. <laughs> When you hear the question, <laughs> oh, right. so we're, we're 36 minutes into it, and yes. we now now know how to hear the question. Yes, All right. Well, that's it for now. We'll finish this conversation up next week. In the meantime, stick around for a bit about my friend CC Chapman's Managing the Gray podcast. After that, stop by our discussion forums and chime in. www.manager-tools.com/forums. Until next week, then so long. is a new media podcast from C.C. Chapman. He's got interviews and insights from the brave new world of marketing. Engage the evolution at managingthegray.com.